If you've got a Bible with you, then please do reach for that. If it's on your phone or if it's one of the Red Church Bibles. And we're going to turn to 1 Samuel. And the very last chapter of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 31. 1 Samuel, chapter 31. In the Red Church Bible, it's page 303. And we're going to read from verse 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter. 1 Samuel 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they had killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armor-bearer was terrified, and he would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that Saul saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died. They abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped him, stripped off his armor. And they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of Astaroth and fastened his body to the wall of Bethsham. When the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Bethsham. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethsham and went to Jabesh where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And they fasted seven days. Well, Rui is going to come up and explain that, unpack that for us. I'm just going to pray for Rui as he comes up. Heavenly Father, thank you for 1 Samuel. Thank you that all you've been, for all you've been teaching us through this book. Lord God, I pray that as we finish this book this evening, that you'd be speaking to us once again. Lord God, I pray for Rui. Lord, please anoint him by your Holy Spirit to uh, teach us by your words. That it would not be Rui's words, but it would be your words, the words that you have written down. Lord God, please open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you have to say to us this evening. Keep us attentive, keep us alert as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, James. Well, we've just read about the death of King Saul. And the death of a king 
is a momentous time for any nation. The, the death of a ruler can change a country's course of history, either for better or for worse. And tonight we're going to look at this part of the history of Israel where their anointed king's death, although a national disaster at the time, shows us a couple of things. It shows us two things. It will show us that they shouldn't have been chasing after things in the way that they thought was right, that they considered was the right way to do things. God had given them a way to live, and that way to live was in their best interest. But they had decided to do something different. They ignored God's way of doing things, which we know never ends well. But we'll also see a second thing, and that's that the anointed king's death also meant that there was a way open for God's people to be gathered to him through his anointed king, which sounds a bit counterintuitive, sounds a bit confusing, but we'll get to look at that in a bit. So let's have a look at our passage in 1 Samuel. Just a reminder of where we've been. We've been looking at 1 Samuel for a number of months now. It's the first part of a larger book uh, together with 2 Samuel. And we're ending this first part Tonight, we're ending this first part of 1 Samuel. We're going to look at 2 Samuel in a uh, a while's time. We're not going to go straight into it, but we're going to look at that in a while. But this is after the time of the judges. It's after Israel had been led by judges who were giving them decisions about how they should live. Israel didn't have a king before this time of 1 Samuel. And Samuel, who the book is named after, is the last judge. He's the one who was also a prophet. But he was a judge who came and he was rejected by the people, even though he was a good judge. Instead, the people demanded a king. They wanted to be just like the other nations. They wanted to be just like all the people around them. But what they were actually doing when they said they wanted a king like everybody else is they were rejecting God as their king. They chose a king. His name was Saul. We've seen that in in 1 Samuel. And he was anointed by Samuel. Samuel went and anointed Saul to say he should be the next king. And his job was to protect Israel from her enemies. And again, as we've been going through one summer, we've seen that there's been initial success for Saul as he's been winning battle after battle after battle. But eventually things go slightly awry for Saul. Saul starts going off the rails, starts not following the way God wants him to live. He becomes jealous of a guy called David, who we know is a shepherd boy, who uh, killed Goliath and became a threat to Saul's kingship. And Saul eventually became so consumed with this threat, with with trying to kill David, that he was just almost driven mad by it. David, son of Jesse, was a man after God's heart. And because of that, when Samuel came and found him, when the prophet came and found him, he anointed him to be the future king of Israel after Saul. Now David had chances to take the throne, and we've seen that over the last few weeks, but he doesn't kill God's anointed king. David doesn't kill Saul. But Saul slides further and further away from God, eventually consulting with witches to try and figure out what's going to happen in the forthcoming battle with the Philistines which is where we get to today. David was driven to side with the Philistines, but we saw last week that he was miraculously saved by God and didn't have to fight against his own people for the Philistines. And our focus today has now moved on to Saul. And if we could have the first slide up, please, Pete. 
Sorry? I'll be in a minute. Okay. So what we get to is this bit in 1 Samuel, which feels very much like a, a news report. It feels very factual. There's lots of information here about what's gone on in this battle, battle near Mount Gilboa. This is happening around 1011 BC. We've got the dates. We know when it happened. And this battle between the Israelites and the Philistine has slipped away from the Israelite army. They are losing the battle and losing it badly. And we can see in our passage that Saul's sons are killed. His heirs, the heirs to his throne, are killed. The Philistine archers then catch up with Saul and the rest of his men, and they mortally wound him. And Saul doesn't want to fall into the arms of the Philistines. He's desperate not to be captured by them and paraded around as this trophy to show that they've been victorious over the Israelites. So he asks his armor bearer to kill him. The armor bearer would have been a trusted person who would have been there beside Saul in the battle. But the armor bearer can't do it. We're not told why, but I've got to imagine that actually he doesn't want to kill God's anointed king either. Just like David, he doesn't want to kill the anointed king. So Saul, to avoid this humiliation, ends up killing himself. And this battle is lost. The king is dead. His three sons are dead. The armor bearer is dead and his chosen troops are dead around him at this, at this site of Mount Gilboa. And when the rest of the Israelite nation sees the army defeated and scattered everywhere, the people in the valley where the, where the battle is taking place and on the other side of the Jordan flee from their towns because they know the Philistines are coming to take over their, their land. The people are scattered away. And we get this last bit at the end of, of this news report where the men of Jabesh Gilead come and do something quite incredibly brave. They come and, uh, and rescue Saul's body, which has been just displayed for everybody to see that actually the Philistines have defeated Israel and their king, and his body is put on display. But the men of Jabesh Gilead come, and they take his body and the body of his sons, and they go and, and give them a proper burial. And if you remember back into 1 Samuel 11, um, right at the beginning of Saul's reign, he goes to the aid of the men of Jabesh Gilead. He goes and rescues them. They're surrounded by Nahash the Ammonite. Um, and he, uh, Nahash is saying that he's going to, if the people surrender, he's going to ask that all of the men have one eye taken out of them. Saul, in a forced march with his army, comes and rescues the men of Jabesh Gilead. And then they return the favor here. They rescue his body and they give it a proper burial. So as I said, this is the final episode in the history we've been going through. This is the final episode of Saul's life. Saul was meant to be the king to defeat Israel's enemies. But it turned out that he wasn't. He was anointed by Samuel to be Israel's king. But now he's dead. The nation is looking on and just trying to figure out what is going on. Their anointed king is dead. The nation has been defeated. It's been scattered. They were really hoping they were going to be saved from the enemies around them. 
But instead, this feels like a real low point in their nation's history. We're going to look at 2 Samuel another time. The story does change. There's a bit of a a spoiler alert there, but the story does change. If you've not read 2 Samuel, um, do go and read it yourselves if you want to. Don't do it now, but do go and read 2 Samuel because the story does change. David then comes to the fore in 2 Samuel. David, the anointed king in waiting, who had opportunities to kill Saul, but doesn't. He then comes to the fore. The way is now clear for God's anointed king, the king after God's own heart, to save his people from their enemies. So I think that this uh, this passage in 1 Samuel 31 tells us, I think, two things. Um, I think the first thing is up there about nations chasing after things. The nation of Israel, back in 1 Samuel 8... They said this, give us a king to lead us. And this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord said, listen to all the people, listen to all that the people are saying to you. But it's not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. And this passage in 1 Samuel goes on to say that God is going to give them a king, but this king is going to be not what they're expecting, not what they're wanting. And Samuel lays it out for them in verse after verse what this king is going to do, how he's not going to be the king they want, how he's not going to be the person who's going to give them the sort of life that they want. But in verse 19, the people say this, the people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we should be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. The people have looked at the nations around them, at the world around them, and have seen that all of these nations have a king, have a leader who is leading them through life. They get a king. They get Saul. But it turns out to not be the way that they wanted. We see right here at the end, Saul dies. Their king, their anointed king, is defeated. And I think that the lesson for us from that is actually that we can really chase after stuff in this world as well. We can look at um, people around us. We can look at our friends. We can look at our family. We, We can look at people at work. We can look at people at school. And we can be so pressured into adopting the way that they live, into into doing the things that they do that actually we ignore God. That we rule him out of our lives and we let something else be in charge. We've said this again and again and again, haven't we? That actually if you chase after idols, if you chase after something else rather than God's, it will not end well. But I want you to just look around this room. Actually, I want you to seriously just look around this room now, at the people in this room. I want you to look around. You guys at the back as well, look around at this room, okay? You look at the people in this room. This room is full of people who have the scars from following a different way from God and then turning to him. This room is full of people who have been beaten and defeated 
but then have turned to God instead. Romans 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God doesn't want us to be conformed to what happens in our schools. God doesn't want us to be conformed to what happens in colleges, in universities, in our workplaces, in our families who don't follow God. He does not want us to be conformed to that. But this Israelite nation wanted to follow their own way. They wanted something that all the other nations around them had. But it doesn't work. The king is dead. So that's the first thing. I think chasing after stuff that isn't to do with God is just not going to be good. It's not going to satisfy us. It's not going to lead to a, a good life. But actually, the second thing that I just want to talk about is this. The defeat of God's anointed king leads to the victory through God's anointed king. Which sounds really odd, but the death of the king, Saul, meant that David, the anointed king, after God's own heart, could then come to the fore. Could then, in 2 Samuel, and I apologize for the spoiler, he leads them to victory over their enemies. We heard this morning when Phil was preaching, when we were looking at, um, when we were looking at the Passover and Jesus spending that with his disciples, that God is always sovereign. Every bit of God's plan is happening through his words. And we see that here as well, that Saul we thought was going to be the anointed king was going to be the one that led Israel through victory is defeated. But it means that David, God's anointed, all part of God's plan, all part of his sovereign plan, David rises to become the leader. And I know this might be twisting that too far, but actually, I think for me, this has been a great picture of Christ for me. That actually, God's anointed king, Jesus, had to die so that God's anointed King Jesus could be victorious. I love the fact that when you look at the cross, it looks so weak, it looks so powerless, it looks like it hasn't achieved anything, but actually it's achieved everything. Saul and the Israelites have been defeated, it looks like it's the end of the nation, but it's the start of the victory. Jesus' death on the cross is the most amazing historical event ever. God's anointed king was killed so that we could be in God's kingdom. So that we could take part in the victory that he won for us on the cross. Isn't that just awesome? 
So we said we'd look at two things tonight. We're going to look at some questions in a minute or so. But we said we'd look at two things tonight. We said that firstly, we'd look at what chasing after stuff would mean. Chasing after stuff around us, in the world around us, seems right to us. But if they're not in God's will, they won't work. They just will not work. God had promised that Israel would be his people, that they should listen to him and they should follow him. But they ignored him. They sidelined him. They chased after the stuff of the nations around them. Judgment and separation from God is what lies down that path. It's what happened to them. But King Saul's death does show us that it's worthless. Chasing after that stuff is futile. If we remember, if we remember God and seek knowledge of Him, then we're on the right path. The path of God's people and of His kingdom. God wants to be our generous, kind and caring King. Why would we want to be like the Israelites and want to chase after other stuff that won't work when God wants to be that way for us? Why wouldn't you let him? But secondly, we're going to see that the death of God's anointed king is still part of God's plan to bring victory. God is sovereign throughout this book. You can see that again and again and again. God has planned everything, including that precise meal of the Passover, thousands of years before it took place that we heard this morning. But instead of thinking, as Israel did, that Saul, this impressive, handsome warrior figure, was going to be the one who would lead them, it is David, the young shepherd boy, who became a great warrior, who looked weak, but was anointed as God's future king. And it turns out that he is the one who brings victory to God's people. And therefore, for us living this side of the cross, living after Jesus' death and resurrection, we can see that the death of his anointed one means that a way has been made for us. A way for us to become God's gathered people to him. So we're going to spend some time now looking at three questions Pete, would you mind bringing them up? So we've got three questions up there. Do spend some time on those. Um, but really, that first one, I do want you to think quite hard about that one. I don't want it to be theoretical, but actually think about the stuff that's happening in your life, where you go to work, where you go to school, where your friends hang out, where your family is right now, and think about what people are asking you to chase instead of God. Israel chased something And it ended in national disaster for them. Don't follow Israel's path. Follow God's. So let's spend some time on these questions.